Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Colored Conversations, a safe place where we talk about race. And I'm excited about today's um, topic, today's episode. <coughs> and I just want to bring in my co-host, uh, Dr. Trevor Kinlock. So, Dr., please come on in and uh, say what's up to the people. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Good to have everybody uh, here today. We're excited. Looking forward to uh, another good session today. All right, excited all right. for the guests that we have. You doing all right, preacher? Yeah, hold on, hold on. But let's let's start with a word of prayer. Let's start sure. with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, please forgive us for our sins. Please, please, Lord God, just cleanse us from all righteousness. Lord, we just ask that you will have your way in this discussion. Uh, Lord, just be with us. Uh, bless us, and we talk about something extremely serious um, today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we've been talking about this for a whole for a whole week, and we do have a special guest uh, with us, not, none other than Pastor uh, Marquise Johns. Uh, so Pastor Marquise, we just want to bring you in right now. Can you say uh, hello hello to the folk, to the people? Hello, everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, thank you, uh, Keenan and Dr. Kenlock, for giving me this opportunity to share Really looking forward to uh, this topic that we're going to address. All right. So, 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 Pastor, uh, Pastor Marquise, can you just tell us tell us a little bit about yourself and what you what you're doing what you're doing now? Um, so, you know, I, for about ten years, I have been for a little over ten years. I'm, I'm an ordained Seventh Day Adventist minister. Um, my most recent post is I served as the uh, community services director and evangelism for the black work in the Southeastern California conference. But recently I started a consultation company, uh, Marquise Johns consulting LLC and started to work with, uh, the caucusing body of the black, the historically black churches in America called the conference of national black churches working with them. Uh, we have undertaken the task of speaking to issues germane to people of color in, in this country. One of those, of course, over the last two years, we can't get away or around COVID-19. And so working with the Conference of National Black Churches, we were given a grant by the Center for Disease Control to galvanize the black churches and um, to, to overcome vaccine hesitancy. And so for the last year and a half, I've been working on that front, producing content, producing um, <clears throat> various uh, programs, et cetera, in order to mobilize the black church to overcome vaccine hesitancy on a major, major uh, CDC grant. Okay. All right. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm going to start off with the, the first question and we're going to turn it over to, okay. to, to Dr. Dr. Kenlock. Uh, he has the second question, but my first question to you, uh, dear pastor is why black people, why do you think with all that's going on right now, it seems like we've been in this health pandemic for the last three years. So many have lost their lives to this. So many. So what do you think, why do you think black people right now, even in 2022, are hesitant to get vac vaccinated? So first and foremost, and this is going to sound like an oversimplistic answer, but there's no way around this. The same way there's no way around the COVID-19 pandemic, whether we were talking about in the early stages, the alpha variant or the delta variant, or even now as we are trying to stabilize ourselves and, and deal with the Omicron variant. The reality is 
the reason black people are hesitant to receive the vaccine is the same reason they are hesitant to uh, to to seek medical services here in the country. And that is, in one word, racism. And, and um, I love Dr. Kamara Jones, who basically uh, several years ago when she was the head of the public health uh, organization in America, declared racism a public health crisis. And she gives the definition of racism as a system of structuring um, opportunity and assigning value based on the social interpretation of how one looks, which is what we call race. Um, she says there are three things it does. It unfairly disadvantages some individuals and communities. It unfairly advantages other individuals and communities. And third, it saps the strength of the whole society through the waste of human resources. She then places racism into three levels, institutionalized racism, personally mediated racism, and internalized racism. And so before I go into unpacking those three, um, in the recently released book, very controversial book, Nicole Hannah-Jones undertook the task of um, compiling um, and reorienting the history of America around the year 1619. And in that book, Nicole Hannah-Jones has a piece written by uh, Linda Villarosa. And Linda Villarosa tells a, a very sobering story of Dr. Susan Moore. Now, Dr. Susan Moore had was one of only 700 or so black women who graduated uh, with a medical doctorate uh, in two, I think it was in 2002. And she went on to practice medicine. And then when the COVID-19 virus hit, she was admitted into the hospital and she then began to record a series of videos documenting what she was going through as a black female uh, 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 physician. And there was a point when her, her doctor came in who was a white male and she was complaining about some pain that she was experiencing. <clears throat> and she, she noted in this one of her videos that he didn't check her lungs. He didn't run any tests on her. He didn't do anything. And even though he knew she was a physician, he denied her the pain medication that she was asking for because uh, there is a historical thought process that governs how medicine is meted out that black people somehow are more prone to becoming addicted to opioids and or to uh, cocaine if they are prescribed codeine and or morphine. And so he withheld the pain medication somewhat on that premise. And so she, she complained about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Needless to say, Dr. Suzanne Moore eventually died from complications with COVID-19. Now, now, when you put that in perspective and when we're talking about when we're talking about racism and how it affects individuals at an institutional level, at a personally mediated level and some of the internalized racism we see at play here, all three institutional racism. Again, Dr. Kamara Jones refers to as differential access to the goods, services and opportunities of society based on race. You see that in housing. We see that in education. We see that in employment. We see that in income, medical facilities. Uh, uh, environments, information, resources, et cetera. 
right? And so this explains the association or the marriage, if you will, between social class and race. And so that is where we see Suzanne Moore succumbing to institutionalized racism, personally mediated racism. The second form of racism that Dr. Kamara Jones points out is differential assumptions about the abilities, motives, and intents of others by race, right? So here we see the institution, the medical institution in America didn't see uh, Dr. Suzanne Moore as a pediat I mean, excuse me, as a physician who was very capable of communicating what her shortcomings were and then meted out the medicines based on her ability to articulate those, not just from I'm a black person off the street, like what, which is what the white doctor may have seen, but as a physician and as a small cohort of black female physicians who fought their way through the educational institution, which has its own variations of racism and was able to become a physician, we didn't see her or they didn't see her that way. There was some personally mediated racism on the part of the doctor who said, oh, this black woman is asking for pain medication because she has a predilection or a predisposition toward toward um toward uh, uh what is the word i'm looking for toward um um addiction yeah, yeah she is predisposed to addiction so i'm going to withhold some of that from her and so personally mediated racism shows up in american society in, in the areas of you know we talk about prejudice and discrimination it shows up in police brutality uh, uh shopkeeper vigilance you know getting followed over around a store when you go in waiter indifference teacher devaluation and what suzanne moore experienced and that is physician disrespect so here this white physician didn't see in Suzanne Moore his equal, someone who had gone through the same educational rigor as he had and was able to, to some degree, self-diagnose what was potentially her problem. He saw her as a Black woman, his personally mediated racism, being now the arbiter of institutionalized racism. He saw her as a Black woman with a predisposition to, to um, addiction who was seeking pain medication, which it has... It, it has shown can lead one is a gate potentially a gateway drug to full blown crack or, or or heroin addiction and then finally finally there is internalized racism now this is where you know <clears throat> Suzanne Moore took to the internet to kind of combat her own internalized racism. And, and, and internalized racism is acceptance by the stigmatized racist of negative messages about our own abilities, intrinsic worth. And so to kind of to document that she was also dealing with and working through her own internalized racism where she was she she saw in herself like hey you know i know this is wh who i am and i gotta now fight against that because internalized racism makes you either accept it or fight it and so she began to fight it going on social media and and, and what ends up happening is again she dies and everything that that contributes to her death is racism, whether we're talking about, again, um, institutional racism, personally mediated racism, or we're talking about internalized racism. And so for me, the reason why Blacks are hesitant to receive the vaccine is in a nutshell racism, but then you can see at play each of these three segments that we just articulated. Man, uh, yeah, you uh, <clears throat> dropped a lot of jewels there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 and, and, and Pastor, that's because I'm sorry, Aunt Keenan. Um, that's because for the last almost two years, I've been, I, and, and this is not to take anything away from anyone else, but I've been on the front lines of this. Mm -hmm. So for the last two years, that's I've been right running. <laughs> I've been running a training for Black pastors to be equipped 
with the language to combat vaccine hesitancy because you can't just come and tell some you know this man like somebody come and say pastor you know um, i'm struggling with this vaccine girl you better get that vaccine for you die that, that's just not good enough anymore you know what I mean? And so we've been equipping pastors in, 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 um, in America with the necessary language and information to combat this, this vaccine hesitancy for the last uh, two years yeah. almost. Wait, well, let's, let's bring Dr. Kinlock in. Let's, let's, let's bring him. Listen, preacher, so glad that you what you spoke on is, is real and the experiences of our people, what we're dealing with in the streets right now, what we're dealing with in our communities, it's real. And um, just the stats are showing that our communities, our people are dying from COVID-19. You know that as a pastor and a minister, I know that because we're doing the funerals, we're participating yeah. in it. Um, yeah. and, and this is the experience. The reality is that black people are twice as likely to die from COVID-19. Um, the reality is that one in three black persons knows somebody um, in their family or their friend yep. that has died from COVID-19. So th this is real. This is a pandemic that has really hit our community disproportionately when you look at how it has affected other people's communities. So with Absolutely. that, you're a preacher um, and, and you you have the same heart and the same care for your people like, like I do. Um, what role can the black church play? What role can the black church or should the black church have a role in um, uh, narrowing these vaccine access disparities that we see across our communities. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Pastor Doc, you know, that is a very, very important question mm -hmm. because historically, so let, let, let's, let's and, and you know, I, I know I'm talking to a, a scholar here, you know, historically, when there was going to be change initiated in the black community, where did it start? It started at the church. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, it, and it's unfortunate that other immigrant populations who have migrated to America have, have been, been able to benefit from what our immediate ancestors bl bled, sweat, and died right. for. And right. that is things like, like even if you just take into consideration, and I, I'm going to circle back to your question. Yeah. When you take into consideration the public school system. The public school system, and you know this, exists as a result of newly freed slaves saying, we want to learn. Mm -hmm. Now, now, poor white people, poor European Americans don't realize the role that we played in Absolutely. allowing them. Because before we made these statements, even uh, poor, Europe, exactly, right. poor Amer European Americans weren't being educated. That's right. And, and so similarly, when you look in, 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 in American society, uh, the more recent his, history, whether it's bad things you know, um, when we talk about Nat Turner, the narrative is, oh, he killed a bunch of people. But but Nat Turner was working from it. And we may not agree with his methodology. Let me go on record right now saying, you know, I don't know. Well, let me go on record and say I don't disagree. We, I mean, you know, I, I don't know who I'm talking to here, right? I'm teasing. So, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so I don't, you know, I don't know who's hearing us today. But yeah. Nat Turner, and if you look at his story, Nat Turner was a preacher. Absolutely. It's Nat Turner person. was for for whatever for whatever um, education he could have been afforded at the time. He represented the highest level of education that a black man could achieve, and that yeah. was he could be a preacher. Mm -hmm. And so, as a preacher and as a pseudo a quasi theologian, mm -hmm. he was operating on, under a mandate from God. And mm -hmm. because black people are almost innately and intrinsically spiritual, when you uh, and I know you, you're a soci you're a sociologist, and so you understand that when we're trying to deal with 
black people, we have to take into consideration spirituality, mm -hmm. right? They are pre, we are predisposed to the spirit realm. Absolutely. We are, we are, we are not as given to material based things. Mm -hmm. We are about the spirit realm. Yep. And so, so to that end, change is often ignited and initiated in our community by the church. Mm -hmm. um, you, you bring that forward to where, it, you know, you bring that forward to SCLC. Um, mm -hmm. This was a religious organization. Yeah. The reason we have the right to vote because Absolutely. pastors and preachers began mm -hmm. standing up. The reason mm -hmm. there's a civil rights act, that is the church. A lot of things that have happened and have initiated change for black people in this country so that we can enjoy to some degree equal footing while not always having equitable footing yeah. is due in large part to the black That's church. Right. So right. when you ask what role do we play? We need to reclaim, and I know you agree with this, our mm -hmm. prophetic voice, mm -hmm. right? Prophetic in, in, in as um, um, Rustin Bayard once said, I think, that I'm, I think that's the name, said speaking truth to power, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to, as the black church where most change has been ignited and or initiated, we need to begin again to speak truth to power. We need to be at the seats um, uh, where money is being doled out, which is why I was very happy to be a part of what the Conference of National Black Churches did. We were at the seats with the CDC when money was being given out because they recognized, and this is, again, America knows it, even though we are losing sight of this in our own community. The CDC, when they wanted to um, combat the narrative of the Tuskegee experiment, I think our, our co-host is going to bring that up. In, in order to combat that historical narrative, they immediately said, how can we galvanize the African-American community against vaccine hesitancy? And they go, oh, let's contact the churches. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so the know. role. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. You're right. I yeah. don't want to cut you because they know we are there. We yes. are, are planted yes. in the community. We are yes. part of the fabric of the community. Yes. Yes. And the people and, trust us. And and that and so that was the program that we ran. Our training we ran was called Trusted Voices, Trusted Content, and Trusted Spaces. Mm -hmm. Right. The Trusted Voices we had. You know, um, Fauci was uh, was a part of my the training that that I ran. Um, uh, Leandris Lebert, who is the uh, the health equity officer for the CDC. She's a woman of color. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, we had Al Sharpton. We had, uh, you know, some some backing from Robert Smith. And, and so what we did was we said, listen, the trusted voices are these individuals like Fauci and Sharpton and, and, and Dr. LaBert who are saying, look, we want to help. The trusted content was from the likes of Dr. Kamara Jones, Dr. Suzette Oyeku, and various individuals who were on the front line dealing with uh, COVID-19. And then, but the trusted space, Elder, the trusted space was the church. Because the people who come to churches every Saturday and Sunday, they come because they are coming to hear a word from the Lord through their mm -hmm. pastor. Yeah. Right. And in our own denominational context, we know that the evangelistic, the evangelistic thrust of the three angels message is only as strong as the right arm, mm -hmm. which is the medical mm -hmm. missionary mm -hmm. work. Come right. On, come on. So for us, it is a no brainer. It is a non sequitur mm -hmm. that we have to be on the front lines of telling people as much as we're saying, hey, the Lord is going to save you and take you to heaven, the sweet by and by. But while you're here a steward that which he has given you <laughs> so, so so preacher how would you address those who say that this should not be the business of of the church that the church needs to just kind of focus on jesus on lord on spiritual things and not get involved in some of these uh conversations or actions that can be deemed political 
That's privilege, right? Privilege allows a person to say that because, again, as we know, historically, when we look at our community because of our predisposition to the spiritual mm -hmm. components of man, which is not as dualistic as mm -hmm. Western society and Western culture has tried to make us, mm -hmm. we know that a lot of things, even in this era where, you know, um, like, so when you look at statistically, you were talking about this Pew Research showed that during COVID-19, 79% of African-Americans still prayed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas other mm -hmm. ethnic orientations, right. their numbers waned mm -hmm. <laughs> significantly. Yep. So, you know, there was never like 100% of, of, of black people. But when right. you think about uh, almost 80% of black people were still... That's it. You, you, so so for us, when, when when someone says that to us, that is that is privileged talking. Mm -hmm. Number yeah. one, number two, that is also ignoring that in our community, the black church, the spirituality of our people guides us. Yeah. Yeah. And so 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 that's what I would say to those yeah. who say, oh, leave yeah. that to 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 the to to Thank you. politicians. I would say that is also, you know. That is also the position that while he was a venerated evangelist that Billy Graham took and had to later on double back on and apologize. Mm, absolutely. Right. Well, he, because it, it is also a tool of capitalism that says we don't want the state telling us what to do. You better believe right? it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so and so for me and I, I'm sure for you, we say we have been called to speak truth to power yet again Absolutely. so let, let me let me just say this and then i'll i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll stop man but yeah. so i talked about as a seven-day adventist christian i'm a seven-day adventist christian right i'm a, I'm a seven-day adventist christian you know let me let me let the record reflect right. right but we understand the importance of the health message come on somebody say amen but two we are an eschatologically driven church preacher why are you bringing up our eschatology or the the, the layman's terms you know in time events because it is hard for me to believe, Mr. Kinlock, that people want to now tell us not to talk about political things happening in society when we have an eschatological view that the second beast of Revelation 13 is America mm -hmm. and that America is going to somehow marry Protestantism to republicanism and not republicanism in the sense of republican democrat but in the context of the republic um, as written, you know, the, the outline by Plato, right? So we can't now when it doesn't seem to benefit the privilege start telling people oh you can't talk about politics but then we have the hard right in our own denominational ranks wondering why we ain't preaching mm -hmm. the mark of the beast no more mm -hmm. well, i thought you told us not to be spiritual right. <laughs> right the mark of the beast impacts what it impacts your political standing it impacts your economic standing mm -hmm. it impacts your social standing. standing so if That's i'm right. preaching the mark of the beast i am by nature yes, being political well said so we can't have it you know one Both way ways. that's right <laughs> yeah. that's right that's right that's right that's right mm. absolutely listen preacher i want to follow up on that and you hit it because you're on the front lines you you get this so so talk to the preachers talk to the black church right now talk to those who are serving our community what can they do what can we do what can the black church do some specific things um to to make a difference in in uh, opening up the doors of access um and so, fighting back on COVID 19. so you know um your, your church your current church is uh has a near and dear place in my heart. Mm -hmm. But there are several things that I watch you guys do, right? Number one, when jobs were scarce and toilet paper and food mm -hmm. items were scarce, mm -hmm. you know, um, 
you guys started giving those things away for free, right? Mm -hmm. You guys started a, a drive-by where people mm -hmm. could show up and, and you made some partnerships with various organizations right. so that when people were impacted at the level of their daily sustenance, they could come to the black church mm -hmm. and get those needs met. So that's right. first and foremost, realize that your church is a trusted space. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, I saw a lot of churches and we equipped a lot of churches here in the Southeastern California conference to become testing sites. Right. Because again, your space is a trusted space, right? So they're going to come and see, Hey, look, we became testing sites. So not only were we meeting that, that physical need, that basic physiological need of food, clothes, shelter, et cetera. Then we became we became vaccine testing sites because now we're we're offering safety and security, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and and this is all I know who I'm talking to. This yeah. is all Maslow's hierarchy no, of no, needs, no, right? No, people can't, can't people can't uh, elevate to their B needs until they've met their D needs, mm -hmm. right? So the Black Church was doing a number of things, and these are things we can continue to do: meet those basic physiological needs, food, clothes, shelter, et cetera, safety and belonging needs, where we became vaccine testing sites, right? And then when the vaccine, I mean, we became um, COVID testing sites. And then when the vaccine became available, right. we made our churches safe spaces to receive the vaccination. And so just at a practical level, those are three things you could do. But for those who feel like, oh, well, you know, we don't have the resources to do that or whatever, you can be particularly in our churches back in the day. And all of us know this because I think we 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 came in various ways, but we all had to sit through several evangelistic series. There was always the health nugget in church. Come on, somebody say health yes, nugget. Come on, health nugget. Come on, <laughs> Right? And so now that. we can, exactly, we can use that time or even in, in cyber school, remember Mission Spotlight. Right. So there are things that we could reinvigorate and breathe yeah. life into, like the mission spotlight and yeah. highlight churches in our area and in the country who are doing the work of meeting those That's physiological it. needs, yeah. um, who are vaccine testing. I mean, who are uh, COVID testing sites and who are vaccine um, um, distributing vaccine. So we can use our voice in those mission spotlights and in those health nuggets, bring that health nugget back, yep. mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And share some of the facts. And so those are some very practical things that churches can do. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Now let, let me, let me, let me jump ahead. And yes, thank you for that. We do have a few questions um, okay. in the chat that I, I want to get to, but before we do that, I just want to ask now that you have been doing this for years now, you know, mm -hmm. uh, through the Delta, Omicron, my God. So, what has been your feedback after going to? Are you are you feeling that? Um, are you feeling getting? Are you getting pushback from pastors from from individuals? Like, what has been your feedback so far? So, the biggest issue has been the way. So, the way that Trump handled it, and then the way that Biden handled it, where I truly believe that the more liberal among us had Trump done some of what Biden did we would have been um, <laughs> we would have been outraged to say the least, right? But when Biden came, and, and I'm not saying I'm in favor of either approach necessarily, but this is the 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 this is where I hear the most feedback is that when we mandate things, right? We have to take into consideration that the West is capitalistic, which means it's individualistic, right? And so when we start mandating things, even for health reasons, Right. People get up in arms and say, my freedoms are being compromised and particularly for black people. And, 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 and you know, I, I can't speak to the European American, but you know, I, I could, but I don't want to for African-Americans. Right. The reality is 
for a people who have fought so hard mm-hmm. to get freedoms, to have somebody then come and mandate something for us. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Right. And so I, I don't I'm not angry at those people because my thing is you have the freedom to do what you want. I just have an issue when people take to the airwaves to demonize one side or the other. Right. So the biggest pushback I have heard is this is infringing upon my freedoms. And for as a black man in America, um, a, a member of a very marginalized people group, it is hard sometimes to reconcile the importance of my health um, when it concerns potentially compromising or releasing or giving up my hard fought freedoms. Mm-hmm. My hard won, excuse me, my hard won freedoms. Right. Right, yeah, I'm gonna get to I'm gonna get to some questions in the chat. Um, all right, here here go one for you there. Can you see that? I do. Right, and and so uh, so I am not a medical professional, right? No, I don't understand. Right. Yeah, no, so let, let me say this. I and I know who I'm talking to. Both of y'all, you know, y'all work out. You know what I'm saying? I, I just started, you know, pray for your pray for your friend, right? <laughs> right. But um every now and then, you know, AIDS hits you. Come on, somebody say AIDS mm-hmm, hits you. Mm-hmm. And you go to the doctor and they give you a thing called a cortisone shot, right? Because you want to relieve some of that tension in your shoulder. You want to relieve some of that tension. I don't know how cortisone shots work, right? I, I suffered as a child with asthma. And when I went, I would get breathing treatments. I don't know how breathing treatments work. I just know that after I got one, I could breathe. Right. I don't I, I didn't always know. And, and, and here is here is the thing that and I appreciate the question. I'm not trying to minimize or or, or or render their their point, their question moot. I'm just saying we live in a very, very privileged time. Right. There was a time when tuberculosis was new and people didn't have a choice um, because how it challenged their health, but to go get vaccinated for tuberculosis. We then reach herd immunity and tuberculosis and TB shots have been with us so long that now no one complains when you got to get a TB shot. Um, I wouldn't know how uh, cancer, uh, uh, you know, what, 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 when you get cancer, what is the thing you go through? Um, Lord help me. Um, when you have to get your, your chemo, kidneys chemo, and stuff. Chemo. Chemo. I don't know how chemo works, but there's a good possibility that if, mm. if I had cancer and my doctor was telling me chemotherapy could shrink some of the tumors, I might go and get that. And so mm. the argument that because I don't know how something works is the reason to forego it is, is lost on me personally. Yeah, There are I, many things that I don't know how they work. Yeah, that I, I, I still part of Preacher, I think if we keep this an abstract debate that's just kind of out there in the sky, then I mm-hmm. think that we can have fun and say, well, is it really a vaccine and all that other stuff? But when we get to like the real world where you and I live and have to operate um, and yeah. the pain, the reality that we see, we know that our people are dying. Our loved ones are yes. dying. One of my members, my former members just passed the other day. And, mm-hmm. and those who are dying of COVID-19 of our people that we know, they are unvaccinated. Um, that's the reality of, of what we know. Um, and so for me as a preacher, I'm concerned about my people. I'm concerned about their safety. And I want them to live. And if the science, which is all that we can deal with right now, the science and the data is showing that these vaccines or whatever you want to call them are safe and effective um, for our people. And they are minimizing the death rate for black people to COVID-19. Then that's something that we need to do um, out of a um, not just public health, but out of a principle and a standard of love 
for our people in our community. Right. And, 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 you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly because like you said, we are more likely to be infected because the jobs that we have make us more info, more, mm -hmm. more exposed. Mm -hmm. And because of our not having access, you know, because the Republicans and Democrats want to debate Obamacare, we're less protected, mm -hmm. right? We're more infected and more right. likely to die more. Yeah. We're, we're overall more burdened by chronic disease with less access to health. And so, you know, like you said, I, I, I understand that argument, but, for people who make the argument, it breaks down a lot of times when COVID touches home, mm -hmm. you know, when cancer touches home, right. when you, you think about, oh, man, I'm not getting a flu shot. But then you wonder why, you know, someone that's 40 years old dies of the flu and you go, well, right. we shouldn't be dying of the flu. Right. Probably been getting vaccinated. Right. right. Um, and even though I don't know all of the science of how it works, I will say this. Um, and her name is uh, escaping right now. Um, Kismekia Corbett. Mm -hmm. Kismekia Corbett it was on the front lines. She's an African-American woman. That's right. She was on the front lines of, the, of helping develop the mm -hmm. vaccines. Right. And so, you know, not that, not that, I mean, you, like you said, this is abstract. I always feel a little bit more comfortable when it's a, when it's a black woman in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm a little bit more willing to eat what comes Absolutely. out the kitchen. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so knowing that Kismekia Corbett was not just on the periphery, was not, she was on the front lines oh, of developing this vaccine. Yeah, yeah. That, that, lead. Yes, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Researchers in yes. the laboratory, right. Yes, yeah, right. so, you know, that's that's why I'm, that's why I'm yeah. here for. Yeah, thank you, Preacher. Well, well said. Zach, you gonna say, you gonna have a follow-up with that? No, no, I, I'm, I'm with it. I, I think he covered it. Okay, here's another, here's another question. There's evidence that suggests that black people are mistreated in the medical system. Why should black people feel comfortable taking the vaccine? Oh, and I say this as someone who's vaccinated. Well, that, I mean, so when we talk about, again, person, institutional racism, racism, personally mediated racism and um, racism, when you begin to view yourself uh, and, and those things, I think that that's what's at play here. And and I, I'm not trying to, to, to jump the gun on my host, who's I think he may bring up the Tuskegee experiment. But, go, but, go for it. You want to go? Go, go, go ahead. Yeah, but, but when we think about the Tuskegee experiment, mm -hmm. let's just let's just let's just dispel some some mythology here. The, the The Tuskegee experiment wasn't about them being given <laughs> medicine. It was about medicine being withheld from them. Right. <laughs> right. And so in this instance, where we have you know ethical boards in place. And people who like, again, when I talk about, when we talk about Kismekia Corbett, when we talk about Leandris LeBird, these are African-American women, right? And, I've, and, and, and again, so what we're trying to do is push us past that point. But there are things that are mentally holding us back because of the misunderstanding of some of the historical things that have happened. So let's take, for instance, let's, let's, let's deal with an elephant in the room. And many of us know that the gynecological medicine was founded by a white man performing unethical surgeries on black, black slaves. All right. So full stop. Dang, that's messed up. However, the medicine has advanced so much so that while it is terrible, its origin 
it is saving the lives of individuals who, when they feel something, you know, my wife has some, some, some medical challenges. And so we, we are, we are comfortable knowing that medicine has now progressed where we're no longer seeing those unethical practices, but the medicine is saving lives. And so that's what I would say. I would say we need to push past the history and the myths of some of the stories that we've heard and may not have always researched and know that the medicine has progressed to a point to where it is now saving lives. I say the same yeah. thing with psychiatry. You know, well, I don't agree with Freud. You know, I don't agree with all of that. I don't, you know, I love, you know, I like the concepts of cognitive behavioral therapy. But right now we see a blossoming um, pe uh, group of people, BIPOCs, Black Indigenous Peoples of Color, Mm-hmm. Now, taking on and taking Freud and Jung and Adler and, and those guys and modifying some of that to be what, what is now being called anti-racist psychotherapy. Right. And so the medicine has now progressed to a place and black people have been allowed to progress to a place in America to net, where now our voices are being added to the argument, which should give some of us a little less pause because now we know we're being represented in some of those mm -hmm. rooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's such a historical challenge, Preacher, and you spoke to it. Um, as Black people, we're in such a difficult space of, um, on the one side, can you trust? Um, and then on the other side, you need to trust. Um, so when we look at kind of the historical um, racism, uh, medical racism against Black people, that is real, that's documented, and that Absolutely. impacts the trust that the community has. But then now you have on the other side where, now we've got this huge, <laughs> horrific pandemic that is killing tens and thousands of us. Uh, Hundreds what, of thousands. Right, yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got it. So, so what do we do? Um, it, is, it is akin to being oppressed by the government that enslaved you. But now also this government or portions of this government help to free you. That's good. <laughs> uh, I, I, AKA the, the Civil War. So, so that, that is kind of the... Um, socio-historical position that Black people have always been in. And we have to do our best to pick and to figure out what is going to be the best path to live. What's going to be the best path to keep us alive? Because um, both sides have done us dirty at all times. And there's sometimes yeah. that we just got to do what we need to do to make yeah. sure that we live. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me just say this, too. Just, just going back to this Tuskegee um, whole experiment thing, just for those who don't know. Um, yes, it started in 19. Just a quick historical point started in 1932, and for like almost 40 years, um, down there, right there, what is that, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Tuskegee, Alabama, yeah. And it took 600, 600 individuals, you know, and then 300 of them, 399 to be exact, they injected with syphilis. Syphilis. They gave them syphilis. <laughs> and, but, but the catch is, in this poor community, they appealed to them, hey, we're going to give you almost free medical care. Yep. I don't have free medical care. Sure, sign me up. I'll sign up for that. And they did not get this thing we know as informed consent. They did not get their permission to do this. They just went ahead and did it and injected 399 of them with syphilis and see how their bodies will respond, mm. so forth and so what. You know, we know that Bill Clinton, he was president, he did come out and apologize for the atrocities um, that what happened in Tuskegee. And then and then on top of that, you know, who knows how long that would have kept going if someone, if we didn't have a whistleblower. They probably would have just kept going on and on. So I can see why some people, they're a little hesitant. And as Dr. Kenlock said, how can you go to the same person who enslaved you and now they're freeing you? Like this whole is a, is a paradox there. Mm -hmm. 
know, right. So- but, and, and I think that, you know, again, to kind of lean into the Tuskegee experiment, which is what people appeal to, medication was being withheld. Right? Exactly. And and it was unethical, it was barbaric. Um, but let's be clear, medicine was being withheld. Held, yeah. From so the parallel, yes, it was being withheld from the yes, yeah. absolutely. So the parallel is not it, it's, mm-hmm. it's an uneven parallel, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. right now what we're seeing is we're seeing everybody saying, "Hey, look," and 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 this is this is this is going to be bad. I got to be honest, but there is a larger argument taking place with the whole pandemic, and that is the privilege of being an American, right? Mm-hmm. So America is literally hoarding vaccines. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some countries only get one shot. Right. America is literally hoarding, or as Dr. Ken like said, or none. Mm -hmm. America is literally hoarding vaccines. And we here in America are, you know, while we don't, oh, I don't trust them, we have the privilege to say, I don't want it. When there are people literally, and this is not even to be, this is not no pun intended, are dying Dying, to get the vaccine globally. Right. And so America, because America is trying to, and, and it's all money, America's trying to get back to the normal so we can stabilize our economy so we don't slip because Russia is doing work. what they're doing in the Ukraine. So we like, we can't afford that. So we're literally taking vaccine from other places so that we can have it here in America. And that is not it being withheld from us. That's not the same thing. The two are not equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to put that comment up. I didn't want you to stop. But one thing the history, it was mm-hmm. dark, but we had to be alive for the future. That's right. That's the it. vaccine had proven benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is definitely, you know, um, this this is a conundrum that, that we're in. I mean, I have just last week somebody asked me to sign some paperwork for them so that they cannot be vaccinated. You know, and of course, as a pastor, I do all, all I can to support religious liberty. You know, people have their beliefs, they have their beliefs. You know, sure, do I want everybody to be vaccinated? Of course. Um, but that, this is why we're doing this. Hopefully get the word out there, mm-hmm. you know, um, to let, let people know. This is Part of educating. Thing. Yeah. 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 And and we, we, we preach and believe that every man be fully persuaded where? In his own, In his mind. own mind. Right? And so I, I, I don't like, you know, I talked to I talked to Keenan. We talk, and I told him what I was doing, and I think that's why he brought me on. But I ain't called. Have I called y'all up like, yo, y'all? I'm not like, hey, and and it, it may, you know, somebody might not agree with this. Man, when I get on a plane to go somewhere, you know, unless the Lord prompts me, I don't bother people, right? I ain't bother nobody. Now you ask me what I do. Now you better get you about to get this gospel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bothering. I'm not trying to tell people because every man must be fully persuaded in his own mind. And we live in an era with the proliferation of information and the speed at which we can access it. We have taught people how to gather information, but not how to discern. And so when you're going on the internet, you're going to find whatever you want to find. You're going to find somebody talking about how the vaccine is changing your DNA. You're going to find somebody talking about whatever you want to find them talking about. But the reality is, I believe that where we all stand is let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Don't be mad if I show up at Metro and during the health nugget, we talking about <laughs> why you need yeah. to get vaccine. Don't yeah. get mad. Yeah. Don't get yeah. mad. Just, you know, well, that ain't for me and move on. 
right? And and I think that that's 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 really where where where, where I know I'm coming from, and I believe that's where my brothers are coming from. So, so Case, you mentioned a lot of what is out there, and you can find so much that that is out there right now. Um, mm-hmm. What do you say to um, what is out there and those who believe that the vaccine is the mark of the beast? First of all, <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing, and, and I, I don't, don't, don't laugh, don't laugh, it's real. It's I'm sorry, real. I'm sorry. And, and they're, they're I, whole, I apologize. A lot of right, that, that right. That. So in 1980s, in the ni- in the early 1980s, at the height of Reaganomics, there beca- there was a view that Ronald Reagan was the, the beast power because his name added up to 666, and that the mark of the beast was a supercomputer in Switzerland, right? Mm-hmm. My, the issue I took with that is you have now taken a biblical concept and you're using... Uh, something other than the Bible to determine and decipher what that biblical concept is, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, people who are saying, oh, this is the mark of the beast, you know, give give me sound hermeneutic exegetical evidence that mm-hmm. supports that stance. Right. Because for 160 plus years, our faith tradition has taught that it is something else. Right. Who then gives us the right to reinterpret that so to use it as a scare tactic to prevent people from when Paul said, no man is, un- we don't live unto ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 one, disagree with the theology. I disagree with the exegesis and the hermeneutic. And secondarily, yeah. I disagree with the Bible in that regard being used to prevent people from yes, accessing something right. that could save lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember in the 90s, preacher, when um, they said that the beast, when it just came out, they said the beast, the beast? The debit card was the mark of the beast. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. You, you couldn't buy or sell, um, mm-hmm. and, and the Visa debit card was the mark of the beast. So, so this is real, but but you just pointed out the main thing. You've got to take text in context. You've got to properly exegete it to be able to have the proper uh, principle of interpretation and make mm-hmm. it real. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just take something abstractly and then say, hey, um, this is the mark of the beast. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow, this has been a, a great, a great discussion, uh, there, uh, Pastor Marquise. Definitely, definitely um, appreciate you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for for your time. Yeah. You know, um, I, yeah. I know, pre- I, you know how long I told you. I think I may have told you that it should be like thirty minutes. Um, nah, you know. So you know, um, <clears throat> both of y'all dudes, you know, y'all, you know. So it didn't. You know, the only thing like when you told me the time, it worked because. Once Phoenix is 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 you know is needs to be around and everything is shut down. Y'all know how right. it is. I got no I got a two year old little girl. No about it. You know no she run everything. So y'all the, the 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 sweet spot. You hit the sweet spot. So you mm-hmm. you have me at least until eleven. But there you I, go. But I, but I want to stay. Anymore. Yeah. No. Nah, no. Nah, what you gave was good, Keith, and, and I want to <laughs> yeah. affirm you for for what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, it's making a difference. It's saving lives. It's important work. It's critical work. Um, it's necessary work, and I'm glad that you joined us um, today just so that we could elevate this um, for, for the real issue that it is. So thank, thank you. you very much. Hey, man, listen, you know, just as a, you know, we have trained um, more than 4,000 churches, um, and the beauty of what we were able to do with the CDC was that churches who participated were given a modest stipend for their participation, but they signed the consent forms and that they would make their space a, uh, a vaccine awareness church. Um, and then two, we are partnering with the NAACP, um, I think next week to their religious affairs department to, again, mm-hmm. continue to spread the word to yeah. help the black community overcome vaccine. Religious affairs or religious liberty? Religious affairs. Okay. For the for the NAACP. NAACP. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
All right, well, thanks. Um, so, so I just want to say, any any closing words, dear dear Doc Doc Kenlock? Anything you want to say to the people that's watching, or to encourage them to get vaccinated, or anything? Listen, listen. I, I think like like the preacher said, we certainly want um, everyone to do what is right um, in their own eyes. To certainly study, certainly pray about it, to to get all the information that you can. That's what we encourage. But at the end of the day, the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to encourage you that individual. Um, Let's not just take on the individual framework that this country or, or the ide ide ideology of this country puts on people. We've got to kind of think as a collective or a community, and we've got to be concerned. If I get COVID, I might survive. I might be just fine, but I might pass it to somebody who might pass it to somebody who's going to die. Um, we're better than that. We love each other. That is the ethic um, that is in our community. So I just want to encourage everybody out there. Love your brother, love your sister, love your neighbors um, and do what is right to protect them um, so that we can get past this health pandemic. Amen. Well said. So getting vaccinated shows that I love my neighbor. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. So, so Marquise, do you want to you want to say anything to the people before you, before you pray us out? I want to touch and agree with what Dr. Kenlock just said. Uh, I don't have anything to add to that or to take away from it. Like the Bible says you add to it, you know, you take away from it. That's what that man just said. <laughs> All right, great. Well, can you pray us out? Pray Absolutely. Us out. Father in heaven, we thank you for as a African uh, community that we are sensitive to your spirit. And so, God, I pray that each person listening now would be sensitive to the move of your spirit. Jesus taught us by this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. John would then add his voice to that and said, if you can't love those who you have seen, how can you love God who you have not seen? And so, Father, I pray that those who are listening would heed the words of Pastor Dr. Kinlock and love their brother, love their sister, love their grandmothers, their grandfathers, their nieces, their nephews, their aunties and uncles enough mm. to protect them from a pandemic that is disproportionately affecting our communities. Mm. Bless us to this end. Yes. Save us, God. Save us in your kingdom when you come, but give us the abundant life that you promised through your son is our prayer in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Marquise. Preacher, Thank we got to do sir. this again. This is good. Yeah, they thought, you know. Mm -hmm. Look, Wednesdays and Mondays from 9 to 11. Other than gotcha. that, Miss Phoenix says, mm -mm. Understood. <laughs> Understood. Blessings. Yeah, blessings. So just everybody listening, we'll be back next week at the same time at 12 o'clock next Wednesday. Also, if you're listening to listen to us on podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share, but color conversations. Go ahead and like the, like the, and give us a review. You know, anywhere you can catch a podcast, just give us a view, but color conversations. But God bless. See you next time.